Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Lightspeed Venture Partners. Lightspeed is a globally leading venture capital firm with over $29 billion in capital under management and more than 500 investments across the US, Europe, and Asia. With its dedicated gaming practice, Lightspeed Gaming, the firm is investing from over $7 billion in early and growth stage capital, making it by far the largest fund focused on gaming and interactive technology. Lightspeed's team combines deep expertise in gaming with a global multi-stage investment platform and a culture that truly puts founders first. Selected investments include Epic Games, Snap, and Stability AI, as well as game designers and producers who led the creation of titles like Fortnite, Call of Duty, League of Legends, Valorant, StarCraft II, and many more. For more information, simply go to gaming.lsvp.com or check out the details in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Coda Payments. Game developers building their free-to-play monetization strategy have a daunting task when considering security, payment methods, user experience, and global expansion. I'm here today with Neil Davidson, Executive Chairman at Coda Payments. Neil, how has Coda Payments helped games teams drive greater success? We like to say we help mobile game developers think outside the app when it comes to monetization. That's because outside the app, they can collect payments from their players at half the cost or less of doing so through the app stores. Coder Shop is our global marketplace for game currency and in-game items, trusted by tens of millions of gamers around the world. And developers that want to accept payments outside the app on their own websites can use Coda Pay, which allows them to support hundreds of local payment methods globally with a single integration. Whether our partner leverages Coda Pay, Coda Shop, or any of our other solutions, we offer local market insights, provide live local language customer support, ensure tax compliance, and manage fraud risks. If your listeners are interested in retaining more of the revenue they generate, I hope they'll get in touch with us at Coda. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Neil. And if you, our listener, are interested in learning more about how Coda Payments solutions can take your game to the next level, head to codapayments.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's dive into the weekly roundtable. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable, the second one of 2024. Lots of exciting stuff going on, as always. The world never seems to stop in gaming because gaming, of course, is resilient, and we are too. So lots of fun stuff to talk about. Obviously, I think we're going to talk about a little bit going on at the moment, CES, which we'll dip into. But of course, want to introduce the guests that you should definitely know by now, unless you're new in, here in 2024, Aaron and Dave. What, why don't we just jump right in? CES is going on. Lots of stuff like flying around, obviously not all of it gaming, but definitely some cool stuff around gaming. Dave, what's your highlights for what's going on over there right now in terms of like cool stuff around gaming? I think you're definitely seeing some interest in trying to capture more of the, the handheld PC gaming market. MSI unveiling their new handheld gaming platform, The Claw. I'm not sure I would say they win for a best name of handheld PC, but they certainly are trying to 
put together a, a very rounded rig. Also, a lot of interest around AR headsets, people trying to see if they can create something new in terms of viewing platform for games, probably trying to borrow some of the oxygen that, that Apple is trying to steal with, with their new Vision Pro headset. Some new cloud controllers, the Seraphim S3 cloud gaming controller. Looks like it's trying to take the best design award for new controllers in terms of not only just how it's designed, but the fact that they're using Hall Effect controllers. So no Nintendo Switch drift from their controllers or those. And then some interesting things that are a little bit outside, but could have some longer term potential interesting use cases for games. Transparent displays coming out from Samsung and LG. Maybe we'll see some transparent displays on the car windows. You can play uh, AR games inside the car. And Samsung showing a new version of the Samsung Bali, which is meant to be a, an AI ball that follows you around and able to uh, answer your uh, voice or text requests uh, using AI, of course, as is everything at CES this year. Projector for movies and video calls. Maybe we can see some games being integrated into the Samsung Bali. Interesting stuff coming up from it. It's funny the kind of uh, converging everyone on handheld gaming, a lot of those. Even the AR VR, like the one of the best uses of the the X-Real glasses, which are just got an update at that, is hooking them up to like the Steam Deck as a nice big screen essentially display that you have for that. So just funny the display technology and gaming technology just everything shrunk down. Obviously, CES is a little biased from that direction, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. Uh, Being the opportunity to game on an 80-inch monitor just a few feet in front of your head Slightly while beautiful. sitting inside of a, a train or a car or even just sitting at home. Yeah, certainly some appeal there for sure. So my unpopular opinion is that if you're an industry analyst of any industry, CES is actually not helpful. It sucks and is misleading in a bunch of ways. I had the chance to go Spike. one year. I think it was 2015. And I was so struck by how well CES encapsulates whatever is peaking at the top of the hype cycle at that time. It is actually the worst time to be talking about so much of what is being showcased. And so when I went, the hype was all about 3D printing, consumer drones, the Internet of Things. It was literally like people were talking about like drone paintball. And the Internet of Things all was being showcased. I remember there were like egg cartons with sensors that would give you notifications when you're running low on eggs. It's things like that. CES to me has always been just like whatever trend is like peaking in its interest at the top of the hype cycle, often before the actual technology can truly serve consumers in the best way possible. That's what uh, is hyped at CES. And I I didn't go this year, but as I look over all of the headlines, I see that trend again, where this year it's all about AI as the big trend that's popping up, where it's AI-infused anything you can imagine. I was looking, there are AI-infused massage chairs. That's a thing now. (laughs) Goodyear, the tire company, is now integrating AI into tracking tires. That has nothing to do with gaming, but there there are pockets of where that is being showcased with gaming, like NVIDIA with partners showing AI in PC, new demos, and progress around that front, which really is not there yet in any real way, but that's the profound trend of CES. To me, what I see, it may be secondary to, to 
echo off what Dave was saying with AR. There seems to be more AR technology being displayed where other companies are coming up with headsets of, of various types that are almost definitely totally going to get crushed by whatever Apple and Meta end up doing. But it's interesting that we're now at a point where these, I don't want to call them knockoff companies, more of these second tier, they're not Apple companies, are coming out with their own devices. They can actually do it now. It might not be the most awesome thing in the world, but the fact that all of these companies are able to come up with something means that we're actually getting pretty close to that technology being real for consumers in some way, in a sense that we just haven't seen before. And not entirely sure what that'll mean for gaming. I'm not like that excited about turning my windshield into video game playing. I guess it's <laughs> cool, but it's not like it's not the future of video games. So those to me are like the two trends that stuck out that again are at the peak of some type of hype cycle where everyone's talking about it. People are implementing it in dumb ways. And it's actually just gonna take some time to actually be useful to consumers in ways they'll want. I know. I'm still looking forward to my AI-infused Internet of Thing fridge that I can play games on. Your egg reordering game. There you go. It's supposed to be Amazon hasn't really jumped on that as, as hard as they could be, considering how are they pushed trying to reorder stuff with Alexa. And the fact that they also have like some tech for being able to track things, uh, like movement and stuff that they use in their stores. So it doesn't surprise me that people want that stuff, but... Amazon hasn't really jumped on it. To the they have, like actually. Said, it's peak of the hype cycle. They, they have in a bunch of ways. I don't know if you remember, but they had these like little clicker things. So like, by yeah, your, it's on my fridge right now as a magnet at this point. There are so the many versions thing. of those. It was a weird wave right. at the time where it's like, oh, I'm out of toilet paper. Let me click the button. And so it'll show up and you could like, put it all over your house or in your fridge or in, in all these different places. It wasn't tracking it, but it was. It's because they didn't have AI then yet. Like, it'll be good now. We promise, Aaron. Like, yeah, AI, AI just replaced the word smart in things is what I've noticed. Like the stuff you were describing, they just like, took the word smart and swapped it out with AI. Pretty much. So that was the big trends that stood out to me in terms of gaming itself, though, probably like what stood out to me the most was Sony, where they actually put forward substance and data and pipeline that is exciting. So they announced that PS5 crossed the 50 million mark, which I think is still ahead of the PS4. So we've talked about this a million times. Obvious success. And the second thing that we've also talked about a lot that they just continue to, to push out is the transmedia efforts. And so they're showcasing more about the the upcoming Zelda movie that they're in partnership with Nintendo on, which will be interesting. And then, of course, like new TV shows. Zero Horizon Dawn is coming to Netflix. God of War is coming to Amazon Prime. And those are some of their biggest franchises that they're making bigger bets on. And that seems to be the norm. And so I think Sony did a good job. But of course, CES is not really the place where companies are announcing new games or like their big lineups or anything that's reserved for for other events. There is apparently it's reserved for awards shows, according to the new trend. So that's true. We already got that out of the way like a month ago. Yep. It it is interesting, though, that Sony, I, I noticed, is spreading across all the networks. They're not really picking any one network. As you mentioned, like you already were talking about, like they're trying to go to Netflix or going to Amazon. They also have the Twisted Metal on Peacock. They have HBO, I think, was Last of Us. So they're not really picking any one winner. And I, I think that's actually a smart approach. To, because, for example, Twisted Metal's a fun show. I, I don't see a huge future for Peacock. So it's a good thing they didn't put all their eggs in that basket. 
We'll see. But I, obviously HBO probably sticks around for a while. But it, it's smart of them to spread their viewership because they're trying to spread their IP to different places, different audiences. And in theory, those have some different audiences. So I think that's, it seems like a smart approach. We don't see like that level of transmedia when it comes to like TV shows and stuff around games, I think yet from anyone else. I think they'll push it till it fails with all these people, right? That's what they do. They, if it works, they'll keep pushing it until it fails and then they'll push it a little farther than quit. I think their strategy has been pretty perfect. Um, they're the arms dealer in the streaming wars <laughs> arms race. Seriously. And, and so yeah. not launching their own streaming service has been very smart and not being dedicated to any one service so that they can bid each property across all of these players. It's it it's created pretty high margin revenue, I think, for them and has been smart. Obviously, as the sub- subsidizing of this streaming wars dies down as these companies begin to rationalize, that, that may impact their business some. And that's, of course, on top of the writer strikes that occurred last year, which just slows down the pipeline for this year quite a bit movies and TV shows. So there'll be short-term bumps, but the strategy overall that Sony has had has been great. And the fact that they have super unique gaming IP to tap into fan bases automatically (laughs) uh, is really excellent as well. So they played transmedia very effectively so far. I think that's one of the benefits that Sony has over its, its competitors is that it actually has an arm that is focused on that type of media, Columbia Pictures, Sony Pictures. They have that expertise in-house in order to be able to look at what is more of a holistic approach to transmedia, which is why they end up doing Zelda instead of Nintendo Pictures. It seems like it's working so far. I I do hope that there's an app for each of those networks on PlayStation 5 so you don't have to leave your PS5 to watch them because that would be a big miss, right? If there's no Peacock app, for example, on there, which is like obviously one of the the smaller ones in a way, then that could be problematic. But I imagine there probably is. I I don't own a PS5 to verify that, but uh, it would be great if everyone could be watching all these things on their actual device. As you said, is sold big numbers. and, And so obviously a lot of people own it. The big test for me, I think, is can you launch a new IP? Using one of these, right? These are established IPs to an extent that have had at least a couple games that have had some successes. Otherwise, like they wouldn't bother with them. But can it help launch a newer IP? Obviously, it helped bring Cyberpunk back, but that certainly wasn't a brand new IP. But it did bring people back to a game that like had faltered a bit. So if Sony's going to launch something brand new, like maybe that's like an exclusive or at least a big launch for their platform, can they come out swinging with that by? leveraging this as you said the, their movie divisions and things like that to make it a big deal like we were talking about previously things like warhammer being able to come in like into more of the broader sphere of, of people's attention through amazon because they never really had much of a transmedia thing and that's that's an old ip but that's into a brand new audience potentially so i do wonder if there's a play here on that and I, I would love to see that be the test maybe this year maybe next year yeah, I do think that there are some studios that as they're looking at building out new games, they've been talking about, hey, this is going to be a full transmedia push for this new IP. We're making a new game. There's going to be some sort of media that's attached to it as well. I'm trying to think it was Rebel Moon, one of those ones that they were looking at doing more than just the the show. They were also looking at doing some sort of interaction. Certainly wouldn't be surprising. He's definitely trying to make it a, a franchise IP sort of thing. I'm just thinking about how if you're watching Twisted Metal on Peacock on PlayStation, you're probably like one of three people to do that, if that's possible. I don't think that's that big of a lever. Is that you, Dave? You're one of the three? I, I, actually, I don't know. I didn't watch it on my PS5. I watched it through. Uh, but for me in Canada, it's through Paramount. 
which is through Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, but I was one it, of those three people that did watch Twisted Metal. And it's, I mean, no, I'm doing it on episodes. your PlayStation, too. It's not, I don't right. think yes. that many people are, are doing that, especially Peacock on their PlayStation. Anyways, that's right. a stupid tangent. <laughs> Devin, do you mind if I segue this to Netflix? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this past week, we also saw a couple interesting strategy changes, I guess you could say, or discussions about strategy changes from a couple notable companies, Netflix and Xbox. But I'll hit on Netflix first since we're on the, the streaming topic. So it was noted by the Wall Street Journal that Netflix is having internal debates over alternative ways to monetize games, especially among different subscription tiers. Now that they launched their ad subscription tier at the lower price, the industry has beaten this topic to death over the past year or two. So I don't think we need to dive into the weeds. I'll keep it pretty brief. But the primary purpose, of course, of games on Netflix is retention for the sort for the core subscription. But debating the monetization angle here likely rose in part from Netflix launching that ad-based subscription tier and just wondering how games fit into that. Do they monetize the games with ads? Do they just let it be a thing? Like, How do you even think about that in different types of tiers? And then from there, once they're having the conversation, it just naturally opens into, if we're going to be thinking about this, you might as well think about it in alternative ways too. And so I, it's all a discussion. Netflix has these internal debates all the time. We'll see where it goes. They'll try different things. But the core purpose is always going to be that retention angle. But seeing how maybe they integrate ads into certain parts or how they even think about just in-app purchases that still maybe present a full game, but allow a battle pass or allow skins or something in some type of way that doesn't get in the way of that core experience. Wouldn't be surprised to see them poke into to that as well. All of this will take time, but hopefully over this upcoming year, as they're releasing a ton more games, we'll get some deeper strategic clarity as the team themselves see how it performs and they modify their pipeline from there. So anyways, transmedia continues to be its own thing. The second is Xbox. And this is actually maybe a bit more interesting to round this part of the conversation out. It was reported that Xbox is taking a couple of its exclusive games to PlayStation 5, Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves. And we'll see if that actually goes through. It might even be more than that, but, but that's what has been reported. And this follows up on a conversation we had last year about wondering how Xbox might use a diverse windowing strategy. So what it did with Starfield, where maybe it provides some window to play for people who buy a unique version of the game. Then Game Pass has its own window of pure exclusivity. And then it's open to discussion what they do from there. And so I think essentially what they're doing here is what HBO or Max now has done on streaming, which is they create their own original content. And that content is most valuable at the very beginning when it launches, right? And that's when it pulls in new subscribers. That's when it retains users who want new content. And then after a point, most content, not all, not everything is the office or something, but most content becomes less valuable the the longer it lives in a subscription library. And so management teams start to think, hey, we could probably maximize the value of this content by still benefiting from that windowing strategy where they maintain exclusivity, get the benefits of that from their users, 
but then later get the benefit of revenue by licensing it out elsewhere. And I think Xbox is thinking about doing something similar to here. I think it's a pretty close analogy. And so as they've swift on their expectations for Game Pass and probably are looking to grow the gaming business at a faster rate, that's probably pushing some of this discussion. Um, but it is notable that they're doing this with PlayStation 5, where PlayStation, they also have a windowing strategy. And after a long window, we'll port games to PC, but not Xbox. And so a little bit of it here, I think, is swallowing their pride in, in following a purpose, a larger vision of making their games available everywhere or just needing the revenue. So we'll see where it goes. I bet they'll continue to iterate and test things out to see what benefits Game Pass. Trying to balance what benefits Game Pass and what maximizes revenue. Those things are maybe sometimes at odds with each other, but I think that's the balance that they're going to be looking to strike more and more. So anyways, I thought those were a couple interesting updates that sort of both randomly tie into streaming video in some way. But curious to get your quick reactions on either of those, if you have any. Yeah, I think Netflix, games on Netflix on the mobile side have some inherent challenges that they are subscription-based in that from discoverability perspective, they're not going to show up on the charts because they don't have the downloads. It's the yep. same challenge as you have with Apple Arcade titles. Um, they're not downloaded, with the exception of a, of a few, they're not downloaded to any huge numbers and therefore have a bit of a discoverability challenge in that they're never really showing up on any of the charts. And it does make it tougher for you to actually find them if you're looking at store optimization. Looking at different ways of presenting the games, be it do they does Netflix even go as far as the old the original free to play model of offering a couple of levels for free through true free to play, allow anyone to download it, and then in order to be able to continue the game, you then have to put in your Netflix ID to sign into the game, as well as other ways, yeah, monetizing. And then they could very well split it up between their free to their mobile games stay as that overall subscription service, their PC games. Maybe they offer some additional layers, as you said, either different types of game passes or season passes or original content for uh, an additional amount, same as what they did with the Starfield and the Xbox Game Pass. On the Microsoft side, it wouldn't surprise me if their end goal is just get everybody on Game Pass. We don't care what platform they're on. They could be on the Nintendo platform. They could be on the Sony platform. But if they own that login and able to own that player through games through an actual games as a service platform versus a hardware platform that may very well be Microsoft's end goal anyways. And we're just starting to potentially see that a little bit earlier, but I think it, it certainly is an interesting play. The, the last time we saw a hardware manufacturer go from manufacturing to just being a software developer with Sega. And it was really strange initially to see things like Sonic appearing in, uh, in Nintendo games, but uh, it was, it was great to see at the end. So it'd be interesting to see at what point do we saw, start seeing the master chief on PlayStation. Is that going to be PlayStation six, PlayStation seven through the game pass? But yeah, I do think long-term it's about getting everyone into games as a service with uh, the Xbox game pass. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I also don't think that'll work on PlayStation and Nintendo. They're just not going to let Game Pass exist, at least like anytime soon. It would make a lot of sense for Xbox. And you can maybe even deba debate makes sense for a PlayStation to allow it. Uh, 
allow the number one reason to use Xbox to exist on PlayStation to just solidify your dominance. So why would you ever buy an Xbox then? Right. So, yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me one day if something were to change there. But, yeah, this is a bit different in the sense that they're just licensing specific games that you don't need Game Pass to access. And so it's balancing that tension between what it takes to win with subscription versus just what it takes to maximize your revenue as a business, which might not be the same thing. But yeah, if they can figure out how to make the conclusion to that lean more in the subscription services favor, that's definitely the way they would lean it. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what else, what other games might make the jump or how they change up that strategy this year. Let me present an interesting lens to all this, though, that I think is like a historical context that is beyond just gaming around subscription services in general and the problem they run into with not maximizing monetization and running into problems with that. Because so I think cable is a good example, right? Cable TV was originally presented as this idea of, hey, no commercials. Like it's just straight up the TV you want. And we all know where that ended up. Not only did that end up with commercials, it ended up with premium channels that you buy separately, bundles, things like that, right? Clearly, same thing is happening in streaming. And I don't know if a lot of people notice this. I I certainly noticed the email I got from Amazon Prime telling me, by the way, just so you know, we're going to charge an extra two bucks if you want no ads on Amazon Prime, that, that Prime service that you were paying for already. And they already did that with adding ads to Twitch after making it so that when you had your Prime subscription, you were ad free for a while. Always these things end up in the same situation where you cap out your earning on subscriptions. Netflix tried to do things like, oh, we'll increase the tiers, right? Oh, you can have more TV simultaneously, whatever. Realistically, that was more just around password sharing monetization. And clearly they realized that was not working well enough and started cracking down instead on password sharing to try and monetize separate accounts because the the full eight or ten dollars or whatever it is for a basic account is more than the, the two or three dollars extra for an extra TV. And they were just leaving money on the table. And that goes down into the game level where like these subscription services, Apple Arcade, Google Pass, Netflix is one. All of them are going to realize at some point, hey, this actually isn't enough money for me. Now, obviously, Google and Apple are also controlling the hardware platform and stuff. And that's where it leans a bit more into the Xbox side of things. But on the Netflix side of things, they're looking at this being like, crap, we're, we're like, we're already changing these games that were like generally monetized games into like non-monetized ones. And it screws up the whole economy of the game anyways. And like, why don't we just offer a basic level of the game, as Dave was saying, out there, just put it out there as a normal game. And then if you want to, if you're a Netflix subscriber, you also get like premium content in it. Or hey, if you're not a Netflix subscriber, you could buy stuff. And guess what? People would actually spend more than it costs for a Netflix subscription if they were buying stuff in the game. And Netflix goes, wait a minute, why, why are we giving away anything for a Netflix subscription? Why don't we just make games at that point? Because at the end of the day, like, again, like capping out your revenue just sucks. And even Xbox is like, hey, we're going to sell some of these games now on another platform because we ran out of juicing the revenue form over here. And they've already, as you said, Aaron, like the timing is done. So, oh, cool. We're done with that now. Like we could just move on to selling it somewhere else. And the upside of that is they increase the IP exposure, something like Sea of Thieves or Hi-Fi Rush, which increases the potential to sell a sequel and things like that. So there's different upsides here, but everyone's looking at like, hey, we're not making enough money with these systems. We need to. And that's the inevitable cycle of all of these. I think if you look historically, it's never enough with uh, these flat subscription tiers. I think if you look at the reason why each of the subscriptions are there as well, there is a difference between why Microsoft is looking to have that subscription base in play, and that's to maintain people inside their overall gaming ecosystem, whereas Netflix, it's about retaining 
their subscribers in their main in their core business, which is still video. So I, I think I do think there is a difference in terms of not only their approach, just based on what it is that they're trying to accomplish with through the use of this. I think the end result ends up the same though. I could see them giving away just the base versions of the games on Game Pass, and then if you want the like extra stuff or the DLC or whatever, you start having to pay for it because again, it will cap out too much when you're giving away too much of the stuff for a flat price if people are actually taking advantage of it. And it doesn't really keep people in the ecosystem as much as you, you'd think. I don't own an Xbox, but I play it. I own a Game Pass. I'm in their ecosystem, but it's through Windows. It's through my phone that's Android. It's not necessarily keeping people... Obviously, I might be an exception, but it doesn't guarantee you buy an Xbox. I'll put it that way. No, but the Xbox buying the Xbox isn't their end goal. You have already done their end goal, which is you are an Xbox p- Pass owner. Only just on the PC side. But now I'm not buying the games or spending extra on top of that. Correct. But you are spending a monthly amount, though. In terms of Twitch, which I mentioned earlier, they are still continuing to go through some monetary problems, it seems, as uh, we've got some layoffs from them, uh, as well as Unity, which we hate to bring up the layoffs, but we got to keep on top of that stuff just so you know what's going on. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but... 2024 has started off with a bang in terms of the layoff trend continuing. And the two big culprits are Unity and Twitch, as you mentioned, Devin. Unity is cutting another 25% of its workforce, which is about 1,800 employees, which follows about 1,200 in layoffs last year, I believe. And that also followed layoffs before that. And so it's really been, in Unity's case, just a long string of kind of gutting out the company, which unfortunately was needed in some way because this is a business that had a scattershot approach to building out lots of different product offerings, had so many different acquisitions, even had a massive acquisition or merger with Iron Source a year or so ago, and was not profitable throughout any of it. And so when market dynamics change and you're left exposed for kind of the lack of value that you created and some of the execution flaws, unfortunately, your employees often get the brunt of the downside and having to correct for that. And so in Unity's case, that still is ongoing. Hopefully, I, I expect this will be the last major cutting that they do from here. It'll definitely slow down their product expansion, feature set (laughs) um, additions going forward. But I think being a bit more focused on what matters most to them and what matters hopefully most for their customers will serve them. Interestingly, of course, markets are always, they're forward-looking. And so they often showcase uh, improvement before the underlying company through its fundamentals shows improvement. And if you look at Unity, I think it's more than doubled from its lows from last year. And um, that just showcases the market's belief that the changes that they're making will work out for the better. But of course, we'll have to see. And then similarly, Twitch, I think, is laying off not as many people. I think it's 500 or so, but it's about 35% of their workforce in what is a major cut. I'm not sure about cuts they've had previously, but that's still huge either way. And this is, of course, a business that has struggled with profitability for years, has faced slowing growth as competitors have emerged, and it's just proven out, especially from YouTube, but that 
a platform dedicated to just video game streaming and not and having trouble expanding into other genres. That is a niche audience that maybe will not take over the world and has been a bit meandering, I would say, in terms of how it's serving like a broader gaming purpose within Amazon over the past few years, too, that I feel something has been missing there. And so this is another reset, probably more for profitability than anything within Amazon. But it makes you wonder uh, about its future within Amazon, whether it should be spun out, whether Amazon just somehow needs to get more cohesive in its vision for gaming or what, whatever it might be. This doesn't feel like enough to really reset the direction as a whole. And then really the last thing I'll, I'll say, just to put some numbers, Matthew Ball shared some numbers on Twitter today that in 2022, the games industry saw 8,500 people laid off. Last year, it saw 10,500 laid off. And each of those years was a record for the industry and the number of layoffs. And then in 2024, just between these two cuts, really already, we're about, at about 2,300, which is in the f- less than two weeks into the year, already about 25% of what we saw last year that was a record. And so, anyways, it's not fun to talk about, but it's probably not over in terms of the cuts. As companies continue to, to reset, you still see companies like Embracer out there making divestments and cuts. and. So, yeah, we don't. I don't think we need to predict or anything what exactly will go on this year with this. But this age of efficiency continues. We're even seeing in companies outside of gaming like Duolingo, they're cutting a bunch of their contractor base as AI is proving more capable and a lot of the translation work that's going on. And just as these pressures mount, you could see some of the early beginnings of whatever version of that in, in gaming and in, in various corners. So yeah, it really is. It's not just a year of efficiency last year. It really is more of a kind of an emerging era of efficiency and rethinking efficiency. So I'll close out there. Not the funnest news, but important nonetheless. But good, let's switch over to some fun news where we're going the opposite direction. Instead of cutting, we've got some more money flowing into a company and into one, of course, that like I I personally quite like. So this is good news, I think we could be excited about which is a second dinner, perhaps getting a third dinner here. (laughs) Uh, Okay. We'll work on our transitions, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, the news certainly is a lot more appetizing than our transitions. So Marvel Snap developer second dinner raised $100 million. And with the majority of that going to supporting Marvel Snap, as well as being able to start working on creating some new titles. So the Series B investment was led by Griffin Gaming Partners, one of the larger VC firms in terms of investments inside the gaming space. A little bit of background on Second Dinner. They were founded back in 2018 by former Blizzard developers. They did initially receive about $30 million from NetEase in 2019. So this is another round for them. And in terms of Marvel Snap, first revealed in May of 2022 and released worldwide in in October 2022. So the majority of the $100 million, as I mentioned, will be used towards expanding Marvel Snap, but some of the funds will be used for the development of new games and new IP, and according to the CEO, also to be able to better write their press releases for things like this. Maybe they'll utilize AI for some of that Yeah, as I was well. going to say. I want to raise $100 uh, million to write better press releases. How could I pull <laughs> that off? 
Oh, I want to dive in on the hundred million. You think, um, you think you wouldn't get a hundred million unless you're already good at writing press releases? <laughs> what a weird thing to put in a press release. Anyways, continue, Dan. But that's but that's press releases, not funding pitches. They may be two different people. They're you probably were reading a press release when you heard about this announcement, <laughs> so maybe they slipped that in there. There we go. And I think the new funding definitely should be great news for the sustainability of the title, especially given the concerns that the game publisher. Newverse, its parent company, ByteDance, is looking at reorganizing its game business. Now, Second Dinner has already stated that anything that happens with Newverse going forward really shouldn't affect Marvel Snap. But this is really some additionally some good news in, in ensuring that Marvel Snap will be around for hopefully quite a while to the joy of its fans. And I really do think, as you mentioned, this is really a bit of good news overall for the for the games uh, for the games industry. If you looked at as a comparison to 2023, the funding in 2023 was at abysmal levels in comparison to previous years. So, as an example, in 2020, um, worldwide funding inside games is around 13 billion. Uh, 2023, that was down to 2.7 billion. So an almost 80% decrease. The number of deals decreased by half from about 824 in 22 to 403 in, in 2023. And those were these are numbers provided by Crunchbase. Um, and then if you're looking at in terms of venture involved funding for for companies in 2023 there were no deals that exceeded 100 million dollars in traditional gaming now that does exclude situations such as savvy buying scopely but that is one company purchasing another company in terms of investor and venture investment though it's the biggest one i think that's great news 2024 over 2023 in the u.s specifically for example Overall investment volume was under a billion dollars for 2023, and that's down from six point almost six point nine billion dollars in 2022, so a decrease of 86 percent. And the number of deals was almost half. So 2022 saw 281 versus 146 deals for last year. So I think this is a great kickoff in terms of of the year, and hopefully a little bit of a a sign of the things to come that we'll start to see a little bit more investment. I personally don't think we're going to see, we're certainly not going to get back to the levels of investment that we saw in 22, 21, or even in 20, but hopefully we'll get back to at least the numbers in 2019 and, and hopefully a little bit more than that. Um, overall thoughts in terms of investment. They just released their roadmap too recently for the year, and it was pretty ambitious, but it addressed a lot of gaps in the game. So I'm actually really hopeful that this can really shore up a lot of the things that they were just excusing as we're a small team. We don't have the manpower for that. But the, I think that's interesting to note uh, just on this topic of we see a lot of companies not releasing new games and, and just doubling down on what they had. So it's nice to hear that they might release a new game. And given their success with Marvel IP, I would imagine could potentially have some other IP attached. So yeah, or their so. own IP. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. I, I haven't seen the roadmap for Marvel Snap. I'd be curious to to check it out or just see what the the highlights are. But yeah, raising 100 million is pretty ambitious for kind of the one game that they have. So it really is a bet on being able to replicate success in other ways. I was looking at Data.ai before we hopped on just to see where Marvel Snap is right now. It seems like their downloads. Their worldwide downloads have dwindled to about half a million per month. 
but the game still makes about $7 million a month in revenue. And so if you analyze, it's about $85 million in revenue, which having raised as much as they have, like that does not justify it's whatever valuation is attached to what they raise, which we don't know, but obviously is probably several hundred million at least. So yeah, it, it really has to be a bet on these new games succeeding and probably using their own IP, as I mentioned, which will come with higher margins. But I guess we'll see. They've done a good job with Marvel, so others might want to, to work with them in, in interesting ways. I do wonder about the publisher situation a bit. It kind of matters who your publisher is for how you think about scaling games and just being having having someone having your back and supporting what you need to succeed. And so uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Newverse. As we talked about before, uh, ByteDance's investments into gaming were way overvalued. And so for them to, to sell, they're going to have to take enormous losses on, on the valuations that they sell out. And it'll probably be to another... Chinese company like Tencent or Netties, I would guess. And it's worth noting that too, that at least with Second Dinner, Netties was their at least their primary backer, if not their only backer in the early rounds. And it might make sense for Netties to try to get involved in this in some way, just to close the loop and being investor publisher. Not really sure how that'll work out. There are other factors involved. But it kind of matters. And so I would hope they, they, they figure, figure that out. Or it'll be interesting to see who else they, they publish with for new games and what that will, will mean going forward, maybe outside of China, too. So yeah, we'll see. Lots of questions here. It's interesting timing for a massive raise, giving that uncertainty, I think. But it says a lot about the quality and respect for the team above all it seems. Just to talk about the venture stuff uh, a bit more too, unless anyone has any more to say on Marvel Sap. I, I do think that NetEase probably will be taking a good long look at it, especially given how NetEase and Tencent are probably looking at more opportunities outside of China, given some of the new limitations around monetization that are being proposed for domestic. And I think NetEase is something like 80% of their revenue comes from domestic Chinese sources. For yeah, I, I definitely make sense from both Tencent and NetEase for them to be looking at it. The part that I do find interesting is that the $100 million, in nowhere did they say that part of that $100 million was to start looking at doing their own publishing. Because that would then be in a very large increase in headcount, a large, you'd have to put aside a huge amount for UA spend, so it does look like that $100 million is going to go towards actual pure game development and we'll be looking for a publisher to be able to help support the game long-term as well as be the publishers for new titles that they come up with. Yeah, and press releases. They, they better not and come out releases. with any of that black and white, boring press release material. We better <laughs> to, see... To be fair, it, it, anytime they yeah. do the season updates, like Ben Bro does this whole like promotional video for the updates, they're good. If you haven't watched any of those on like YouTube or whatever, they're always very enjoyable. So if that's what they're talking about, that's money well spent. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the state of the art for the industry there. Uh, to venture more broadly, just a quick plug. I, I just recorded an interview with Moritz Bear Lentz, the head of gaming at Lightspeed, about the state of VC and 
of Gaming VC in 2024, and that'll publish next week. So look forward to that. We dive into a bunch of what the heck has happened, what's changed, what should we expect in 2024, and how is Gaming VC going to evolve more broadly in, in the years to come. And it was all pretty interesting. So anyways, quick plug to, to stay on the lookout for that. But yeah, this massive slowdown over the past year, what you didn't say, Dave, is that most of that has come from later stage, like the growth investing having dried up as previously seed stage series A deals were done at pretty high valuations, raised a lot more money than companies could get away with today. Being able to follow up on that is really hard because it leads to valuation cuts and kind of messes with your cap table. And it's just like really thorny to work through in a bunch of ways. So that market has dried up and a lot of teams have tried to figure out how to make their what they have raised last longer, which means being leaner. And that's part of what we've seen take place in the industry with the layoffs and such. So seeing this, a Series B come out and be pretty meaningful actually is like pretty good news. I don't know if we can extrapolate from this one deal to say we're back, like growth stage investing. 2024 is the year of the Series B. I don't think we can say that yet. But it's something and and it's meaningful. And I think it does show that for teams who have raised, even like more recently over the past year at uh, more market adjusted valuations that are friendlier to where we are today, we could see more follow up investments faster uh, for, for some of these companies than we have seen from this previous cohort where it was just really hard to, to justify from a cap table standpoint. So it will be interesting to see where that goes. But Good news from that standpoint. I guess the question then that I have to like, what are the things that we'd seen as a trend for a while was the M&A stuff. I mean, we're even talking about it here with Nuverse and some of the other stuff under ByteDance. There's obviously going to be some companies looking to be bought as they cut down headcounts and get leaner, as you're saying, and try and like clean things up. Like, and I know we've talked about this a bit with Embracer and some of these other companies where it was their main strategy, but like just the broader field for M&A in general especially as things look to slim up and potentially maybe even be more ripe for purchasing in terms of being a better deal as valuations go down and things like that. What do you think it looks like just broadly for 2024 in terms of M&A? I personally do think that we will see probably some more M&A, but at much reduced prices, you're going to be able to see some things like some aqua hires where developers are looking at how do they survive? And they'd be much more willing to take a, a lower valuation for their company. they more likely to just figure out how they've brought together an amazing team of people. They want to know, how do I continue to support that people? And that may be being finding a buyer for the company, not in terms of looking to make a massive profit, but just to make sure that people still have a job. So I, I do think there is there's certainly the opportunity the number of buyers is certainly down. You don't have the free money that you do today. So you're not going to see a new version of how many different aggregators have there been over the years. Funny enough, a lot of them seem to come from the Nordic regions, but we're not really going to see that embracer level of wanting to take a whole bunch of different companies and try and bring them all together. But I do think that there is some opportunity for some so for some very bespoke choices in terms of well, this would be a good team for us to add and certainly at a much better uh, and more realistic valuations right now than we would see over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I think I would expect at least the first half of this year to be somewhat in line with the 
second half of last year. I don't know how much will change in terms of just like smaller, more normal sized <laughs> MA, I guess you could say. We'll definitely see some. I, I think that more teams are going to be willing to come to the table to negotiate, um, recognizing that the cap tables that they have, the valuations they have, it's just admitting that it's going to be really hard to work through and surpass. And so there has to be some type of negotiation to to reset. And some of that resetting could result in M&A. And I think that makes sense. But we'll see. There still are tougher pockets of the market where deals are still going to be harder to justify, like corners of mobile and such. But it could get better. But I also think, too, We've, we have seen some massive deals in previous years that like obviously X, Microsoft buying Activision as the, the biggest example that sort of have nothing to do with the these venture trends, right? They just these are just the giants at work, ignoring everyone else, just doing their thing. And we could see a bit more of that. Obviously, regulatory pressures have proven how unfun like very large outsized deals can be. But on the other hand, it really wouldn't surprise me to see a, a someone like Sony come in and I don't want to say retaliate. That's probably too strong of a word, but be like, look, Xbox just bought freaking Activision. Like what's our big move to like extra solidify our ecosystem where we have more, more say. Wouldn't surprise me to see something like that. Or as Netflix figures out whatever the heck its strategy is actually going to be to like actually lean into the direction that it decides on a bit more meaningfully or some of this transmedia stuff. I still, my bet has always been that once the streaming wars die down and people get over the hype of that, that figuring out something with gaming is just a natural next step. And maybe we're getting a bit closer to that. It's, it's so hard to say what big deals would be, but I think that's the other shoe that can continue to to drop that's a bit separate from the venture discussion. but is perhaps even more needle moving for the industry as a whole. Yeah, I think Scopely is going to come in and buy Netflix. Oh. <laughs> and they get, then they get everything. They get Do we get a Monopoly Go show games. then? What's that? Do we get a Monopoly Go show, like a series? Absolutely. And then on top of that, there's be the, there'll be the new F1 Drive to Survive. It's Only it's all about savvy business developers trying to figure out who they're going to buy. But starring Bear Grylls, so we can make sure that we help him. Through his journey. There we go. But speaking of the big, like you were talking about the the big guys doing what they do. Middle East has has restated their hunger is still there. Like the appetite for being like the hub of gaming, or at least as an ambition is still there. Do you see, do you guys see that as somewhere to still pay attention to regardless of this global economic situation? They've got money that's literally coming out of the ground. They still have their same focus of changing what their economy is based on. So their goal by 2030 is to have entertainment being a, a big part of what their overall economy is. Uh, and you'll see that the number of theme parks that are you know being built inside there, the, the neon city being built. It is certainly still a really big focus. Savvy being the main recipient of the government funds along those lines. They still have a huge war chest. They spent a lot of money on Scopely, but they that was just a fraction of what they have overall. Now, there's been an interesting investment strategy in that they're not just buying individual companies. They've got investments into Nintendo, into Electronic Arts. They've got investments into a lot of the larger players, as well as looking at purchasing companies. So I do expect we'll 
we'll probably will see some more purchasing companies happening by Savvy. I think they just need to find and feel comfortable with the right deal. They were rumored to be the company that was going to provide, what was it, a couple billion into Embracer before that deal fell apart. So I think they're just going to pick and choose and find something that they feel comfortable with. Um, Brian Ward, who runs Embracer, is a very smart gentleman who's been in the games industry for a long time. And I think they'll do a good job about picking the right fit for Savvy and, and what their ambitions are. My my personal question is, are they going to stay more focused still in mobile, which is uh, very much the dominant platform inside Mina, or are they going to start looking into other other area, other platforms, PC and console? Scopely's already branching out into the PC side of things. Are they going to look at, or will they have an appetite to to go out further? And more work on being a, a true global force rather than just um, focusing on increasing the MENA space. Yeah, I think you just got to follow the money to see where a lot of deals will come from. And there's a lot of money still in Savvy. I don't know. I don't really know what we'll see there. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be another big publisher developer acquisition if they want to get more into picks and shovels in some kind of way. Like a key keywords, not acquiring keywords, something more in the co-development realm. We might also just see it might not even be as much savvy buying it as making these deals as much as just empowering subsidiaries too. And so I totally think they're gonna get into console PC in some way. It's just a question of how, whether they'll acquire some business to be standalone and doing that, or whether it'll just be empowering scopely to work with more te- like more capable teams in new interesting ways and what that could be. And even on the ESL Face It side, which is their esports ecosystem, it really is an ecosystem. And I bet they'll continue to build that out. And a lot of the tuck-in acquisitions they could make probably wouldn't make the same kinds of headlines as some of these other larger deals. But is it crazy that like, if Twitch were spun out, that someone like <laughs> Savvy through ESL Face It could like view picking them up. I have no idea. That could just be a stupid thing to say. But so I think there could be some creative outlets. But of course, Savvy's not the only one with money. There's so much money flowing around the the industry on all sorts of balance sheets all around the world. Any speculative picks for most likely buyouts in 2024? The Savvy buy EA. (laughs) It makes me jealous that they didn't pick up EA. Probably a little too big. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Snake that unhinges his jaw at that point. One of the questions that I have is: Are they going to look at outright purchases like they did with Scopely, or are they going to take a little bit more of an approach that Tencent and NetEase have inside North America, where they have done some purchases, they have started up uh, some studios, but they've done a lot of investment. And rather than outright directing a company, just helping support that company. And then building out that ecosystem of support um, and just trying to figure out long-term who are the best bets. That may be an easier way to acquire a, a broader range of potential companies to work with them, give them an opportunity to get to know that team, get to know the the management, get to know the capabilities of what their, of their game-making side of things and just find their partners that way. And a little bit long-term, not quite as splashy as uh, buying something like Scopely, but could be a lot more effective in terms of building out their ownership and what kind of knowledge they're able to bring back to the MENA region as well. 
Yeah, they already do that in public markets. Maybe a bigger picture. I still wonder about Twitch. It's just it's such a weird fit with, with Amazon. Oh, I'll stop talking about that. But maybe a couple others. I know Jagex, which is behind the RuneScape universe, they were in discussion later last year. Nothing has happened. And that's a company that's been in a game of hot potato, just being handed around to a bunch of different owners. And I've always said forever games really should have forever homes. And so hopefully Jagex could can find some forever home for for the RuneScape world in particular. But yeah, there's always others out there that you could see maybe not being the biggest deals, but could be good tuck-ins for someone. There's you know, like Super Giant, I don't think is owned by anyone. They make Hades and um, Hades 2 is coming out. I guess you have like, IO Interactive behind Hitman. Like they're still out there doing their own thing and not um, haven't been swooped up by anyone, I think. Um, uh, Gearbox? Gearbox yeah. is up for sale still? Yeah. So yeah, Gearbox will be interesting to see. And then of course, there still are companies on the mobile side and like pretty meaningful ones that haven't had an an exit. And I don't know if it would make sense for them to go public or find a buyout. I guess just one example of that is a it's like a Playrix, right? <laughs> like homescapes, gardenscapes, it's still probably a multi-billion dollar business, or at least used to be, um, that needs liquidity at some point. So I think there are lots of interesting companies out there that we still could see some pretty major action the this year or next year. But I think we'll, again, as I mentioned, I think at least we'll start out the year in a similar trajectory to last year. But hopefully, hopefully it, it starts picking up again uh, in the second half or going into 2025, which feels so far away at this point. But these are long cycles. Place your bets now then on a lot of these independent ones you mentioned, Aaron. Like It's like, all right, which one of these looks the juiciest to, to pick up? Because you mentioned some good names like of, of companies that have been doing it well for a while. Maybe they want to stay independent, but if belts are tightening and people are looking at, can we stay independent forever kind of thing? Like maybe there's some good opportunities out there. Second dinner will be one of them because raising a hundred million dollars certainly brings some expectations of an exit at some point. And Griffin's going to at some point go, okay, so who are you selling to? Everyone's looking at Griffin's calendar for the rest of the year. <laughs> see Who they're meeting with. Definitely. I think there's a lot, as there is with every year, keep, keep a, a lot of companies in your radar and see what's going on, especially now when we're in a rough period for a lot of this stuff while still good games are being made. Like we had such a great year last year for games. There was a lot of games announced at the Game Awards for this year and next year. So a lot of good stuff coming up, at least in, in terms of quality games or at least exciting looking games. So I imagine as much as we've had to report some of the bad news, hopefully we'll get more of the kind of good news like we do a second dinner, even if it's just through acquisitions in terms of good companies getting to continue to do their thing. So I do look forward to that. Like a lot of great companies still pumping stuff out. Even if like when we look at the mobile side, sometimes we think, oh no, like things are not looking great. It's easy to forget the broader picture. So good to hear that. But we'll keep an eye on all that. Obviously, I'm not I'm not out placing my bets just yet because the year just started. But Definitely let us know if there's some companies we forgot, stuff you could think of that would be like perfect targets. Please let us know at, obviously so we can place our bets <laughs> at uh, podcast.novic.co. Give us a shout there. And of course, as Aaron mentioned, make sure you're subscribing to the digest and of course that to the podcast uh, in general, right? Because this is the channel for also the excellent interviews that Aaron mentioned. We've got 
just a constant pipeline of good interviews and in the crypto corner as well pumping stuff out it's tons of great content coming this year i don't think that's going to slow down for us anytime soon so i know we've got great plans to to keep it rocking this year so definitely look forward to that but i want to thank of course you guys for listening continuing to 2024 and uh, of course aaron and dave superstars here uh constantly here on the podcast so thanks you guys for for coming on and of course we'll catch you guys next week uh, listeners out there until then have a great weekend if you enjoyed today's episode whether on youtube or your favorite podcast app make sure to like subscribe comment or give a five-star review and if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.